Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. So I'm excited to have a conversation with my guest today. She is an Indigenous coach, facilitator, speaker, and enthusiast. I have with me Cecily Rose Inglehart. Hi, Cecily. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited to share this space with you. I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? So I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, in anticipation of our conversation. And um, I was like, there's nothing I can like name that feels like it encompasses all of the things that I see as a labor of love. And I thought the thing that might kind of summarize it that would give us some, you know, thoughtful spirals to untangle would be, um, my labor of love is, is really doing the self-work to show up in the world in a way that, um, I feel honors both myself, but honors those around me. That to me is something that I'm really committed to. And that's shown up for me in terms of my professional work, my family work, my community work, Um, And allowed, I think, for me to continue that journey of refining, connecting, etc. And there's so many ways that shows up. But for me, that really truly is a labor of love, because I'm very mindful of how what I do impacts the people around me. Um, Doesn't mean I'm great at knowing that all the time. We all, you know, have our missteps and, and things like that. But it is something that I I care about deeply um, and work on thoughtfully. I think I'll put it that way. I appreciate that so much. So how do you define honor? You said doing Mm -hmm. the self-work that honors not just yourself, but your family, your community, and those around you. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by honor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, especially the last couple of years, having been spending so much time in the, in the coaching space, um, it's been kind of this catalyst for getting a sense for what feels like um, purpose and impact and meaning within my body. Um, and I don't think that we're necessarily in, in dominant society kind of trained to pay attention to our body, right? Like we've forced ourselves through certain times of anxiety or we push through um, and we have to stuff things down. And I've done that plenty of times over the course of my life just to get through. Um, And I think that honoring myself is, you know, not, it's not necessarily that I'll never experience, you know, negative emotions or anxieties in my body or things like that, but taking the time to 
investigate those, understand them, um, hold space for what they're telling me and what it means, um, whether they're mine to hold, whether it's something that's coming down intergenerationally. Uh, that's important to me because I feel like that's a, a way that I can have some agency in how I'm being in the world or how I'm serving as either, um, I guess, a source of like healing myself and healing by extension uh, patterns around me, maybe that are not necessarily set up for us to live life in a way that feels like it's cultivating community rather than this like dominant <laughs> thought of like building empires right like I feel like mm. that's a big a big theme when it comes to the world of um entrepreneurship when it comes to family when it comes to all these things there's like this kind of rhetoric and um we've kind of seen the impact of that I think globally so to me it starts with what I have control over which is my mind my my body to an extent obviously you know and just being able to have a sense of like what can I do to as fully step into where I'm able to cultivate impact um, as possible and do that with intention mm -hmm. thank you so rich so something came to mind when you were talking but before I say that I want to name our connection in that Cecily and I were part of the second cohort for coaching for healing justice and liberation and you know there have been some guests that I've had on the podcast who were you know our peers and, and cohort members in that I've had Damon and Sadao on who founded it and so we spent a lot of time in community together and you made a statement about examining and exploring the emotions and sensations that come up and ask this very beautiful question is it mine to hold that's a question that I I began to explore a couple of years ago really this was around me um, identifying as a two on the Enneagram and the question I would say is like, is this mine to do? Because I would launch into doing, fixing, helping as a automatic mechanism of how I showed up in the world, really to forge connection and, and prove my worth. And so I had to pause and say, is this mine to do? And that has translated into a lot of, is this mine? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so I love the question of, is it mine to hold? And I feel like something that, I experienced one when I went through the nine-month cohort with Resma Minicum and Education for Racial, Racial Equity, which then was like a bridge to me getting to CHJL, was this idea of communal holding, something that I was not familiar with before these experiences. It was either it's mine to hold or it's mine to cast away. But there wasn't this middle space of shared holding communal holding and like not having to completely get rid of something to not be the only holder of it so one I want to know any thoughts you have about that and also in that please I because I'm really excited to have this conversation because you're just a dope human period and the fact that you are indigenous and 
that carries with it so much honor and respect for me as I learn more about all the atrocities atrocities and erasure that has happened um, to the Native and Indigenous community. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that identity point for you plays into this idea of communal holding? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that um, this, the, what you're describing is such a, it, it does create such a relief, right? Because we have these things where it's like, so many of us, especially if you're a two, I'm not a two, I'm a seven, which is the enthusiast, which, you know, we touched on earlier, but um, I have noticed, you know, so many of us carry this hope that by continuing to often, oftentimes overextend ourselves, right? We're proving our worth. We're kind of like paying our dues in terms of the worthiness of being here and existing and often existing in spite of many, many atrocities that have been survived and lived through in order for us to be here. And so um, that communal holding, I think, is like this space where we get an opportunity to feel a sense of connection and affirmation and um, mutual like load bearing, if you will, um, because it is really difficult to have things honestly that keep you awake at night right and just lay and turn over that are either happening in your community or happening in the world or things that you just can't necessarily put out of mind but also it's like the way in which you show up you can't you can't do the work if you're splayed right like if your guts are splayed out I don't know how else to say that. That's not very eloquent, but <laughs> that's how it feels. It was visual and it was accurate. <laughs> yes, you know, and um, I think you know, as a as as a native woman, there's like all of these layers of things that happen, right? Because so oftentimes we have no option in that communal holding because we sometimes we're the only ones who know we exist <laughs> that's real can I pause you for a second there yeah. and like I I really want us to take a deep breath on that note mm. like I I I I appreciate the levity in which you delivered it and I I also want us to sit in the gravity mm. of that because I've been con really just sitting with and exploring as my community widens and mm -hmm. as I come into community with people from not just all kind of backgrounds, but different geographical locations, mm. I am aware at how hierarchical oppression is. Mm -hmm. Not just like the sense that things like white supremacy, racism, capitalism creates hierarchy so that's a thing but also how as a melanated descendant of African slaves I have been given my story of oppression as top of the food chain if you will like the mm. oppression that I have experienced is is more or heavier or more prominent than how other other cultures and identities have experienced it and I've been sitting with that and at no point even if I say sometimes 
the structures and systems of oppression that we live in can cause a sense of invisibility it feels temporary for me but mm. to know that there's a, a that there are folks who as an identity for you to say sometimes we're the only ones who know we exist like I felt that I felt that in mm. my body as a reality that not that I don't live but that I come to know its truth as I as I deepen my relationships with people like you and other folks who are native and indigenous. And so thank you like mm -hmm. for just sharing that real reality. Cause what came up for me is like, we all, we got <laughs> like you, like communal <laughs> hold, like we don't have a choice because there's an allyship that I have in some of my relationships that don't make me feel like I'm invisible. Like there are people out there talking about my struggle. There are people mm -hmm. out there who are going like, Hey, I'm going to speak up even if I don't hold these identities. And I do not feel that the same thing happens for my Native and Indigenous brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's like, okay, I cannot believe this is coming out of my mouth because I'm not a math person. <laughs> but it's it's like, you know, when you have like the X axis and the Y axis and then there's the Z. And then like, to me, it's like there's all of these different axes all, you know, from uh, maybe my point as a person and then there's all these others that everyone else is carrying and I think it's really interesting to sit in where the nuance is in terms of how things like white supremacy colonialism patriarchy all of these different systems like they have these overarching kind of ultimate goals, right? But at the end of the day, the way that those manifest within our communities can look very different, right? And I think that's a hard, um, it can be a hard leap sometimes because especially when you're from a marginalized community and you can understand the flavor of how you experience it, understanding that it is experienced differently in another community is really um, it, it's like a, it's almost like things get turned on their head, right? Because you can clearly artic, maybe not even clearly articulate, but you have a sense of what the experience is, right? And so oftentimes, because we live in a system, a set of systems that's so hierarchical, like, that means that my experience and your experience, if they're not the same, then one has to be more or less than the other, Right. And it's like, no, it's so much more nuanced than that, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, we know that in, in this space that you and I are holding, but it comes to um, superlatives are one of the things that I find a, I have a really difficult time with the most or the least or the, you know, greatest or those things can be difficult for me because I feel like the level of nuance there becomes really muddy. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a ton I can say on, on all of it, but in terms of visibility, um, I think it was 2018 when Reclaiming Native Truth was published. It's one of the largest studies ever done on perceptions of Native people. Um, and it, I think the statistic was around 60% of people like believe we're extinct. And so hmm. that's a pretty, like, when you think about, like, policy, when you think about community, when you think about um, 
representation, history, like all of the different facets of being that we are moving through to have 60% of the people in the space where you're like supposed to be a citizen, quote unquote, you know, like they don't even think you exist. <laughs> wow. You know, let alone then when their awareness comes up, it's a very, 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 um, uh, I would say like the little pieces picked up from small stories in history. I mean, not small, I guess I don't put it that way, but like these moments in history that show up in, you know, Thanksgiving or, you know, whatever, but there's no way in which I think we're understood it with a level of nuance that reflects that we're not a monolith. Yeah. And so it's another layer of being invisible that even if people are aware of you, it's like they're talking to you as if you're, you know, you they're you're just one big group. And there's certainly the connection there, but there's also the reality that like oftentimes we learn a lot visiting each other. Like the opportunities I've had to go to other communities and to see their way of life were very, very different. And I think it's a beautiful lesson in us experience, um, experiencing colonization and colonialism similarly. But the way that manifests even within Native and Indigenous communities is radically different. So I could go on all day about it, but <laughs> I'm going to there. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I really do. Because I was just sitting and thinking about, you know, as we're recording this, we're now in March, but February is Black History Month. And there's always a very... um targeted intentional focus on reclaiming and exclaiming the history of African-Americans in the country right and how often and I know what it feels like in my body when I learn about some thing that exists because one of my ancestors created it and didn't get credit for it right and in the feeling of that but then I hear that like, but at no point do I ever believe that a, that the majority of the general population doesn't know I exist or doesn't know that my ancestors existed. That's just, that feels so different. And I, I, I just appreciate you for sharing that because, well, you know, and, and as neutrally put as possible, my listeners some of them probably make up part of that 60%, right? And so I just, I appreciate your voice and you coming not as a representative of all that is Native or all that is Indigenous, but for you coming as Cecily and talking about your experience. So I appreciate that so much. Mm -hmm. And so I guess now let's just talk about, because I want to, you know, go back to your labor of love, which is doing the work mm -hmm. so that when you show up, in this multitude of spaces, you have an awareness of how you impact the whole or you impact different parts. So what does that work look like for you? Yeah. Well, I think that a big piece of it is the combination of unlearning and, and relearning. Um, you know, just speaking on the intergenerational front, this is a good kind of segue, I think, from what we were talking about of what's mine to hold. And um, my mom recently was reflecting on, um, she often would have this recurring dream where she was forgetting to take her medicine. She'd be forgetting to take her medication. And 
she later found out that my grandmother, when she was about four years old, this was right around the time when she would have been taken to a boarding school. There's government, you know, mandated boarding schools for Native people. And um, <laughs> they're not the cushy boarding schools you might be envisioning when people hear the name, like, hear boarding school. It's not Speak the same. On it. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking drastically different here. Yes. Um, and so my grandma would be out, you know, she was very, very young, helping out in the fields with some of the other workers that were in the area. And she had a doc, she had an eye infection. And this doctor was telling her, you know, a four-year-old, you have to remember to put this, this salve in your eye, right? Like it was very, very clear that she was responsible for taking care of this task on her own. And my mom finally made the connection between like, can you imagine the panic a four-year-old would have at needing to remember to do something like this on a daily basis, you know, in relation to their sight, something to use every day, right? Mm-hmm. And then my mom waking up, you know, with this panic. And it was like the moment when that happened, this like healing, right? This connection between these feelings that are coming from a generation before. And then my mom had back surgery in her teens, And so she was forced with this, um, she had a brace that would go from her chin all the way down to almost to her knee and it was rigid and straight. And so she'd have to try to like slide in to desks and like, she couldn't bend. There was no bending between chin to knee yet. She had a PE teacher that would make her run and touch the line to do ladders. Mm. Right. And I felt that in my body. I had no idea what it was, but every time we had to do any running where you'd have to go and stop at a line and turn around and come back, I would get this very visceral reaction in my body and I'd get emotional and I just want to hide and cry. And we've had that conversation about her and it, that went off for me and my relationship to movement changed as a result of that conversation. And So I say that because when we're talking about what's ours to hold, like there is so much that carries down through the generations that are within us. And for me, the work then is taking the time to suss through some of this and have the honest conversations that allow for kind of like, you know, when I was talking about splaying your guts out earlier, it's like a, it's a, um, somewhat controlled environment for doing that taking it all out and seeing like oh actually is this you know mine is this yours and do you need it back and is it healed up and you know like all of that I think is part of my work in coaching which mainstream ideas of a life coach are like universes away from what I see so many of the coaches I know actually doing Um, and so for me, I I think in the process of putting my guts on the table, if you will, and reassembling them, um, I've really come to understand that it's, I'm okay being as I am. I'm worthy being as I am and the gifts that I bring, it's okay for me to step into those because I think I've often felt like um, a lot of spaces I go to, there's a particular idea about who I am and and what I represent, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> and for me, it's like, you know, I'm going to just bring all of myself there. I'm going to bring my humor. I'm going to bring my um, quirkiness. I'm going to bring my enthusiasm. Um, and I'm going to bring my honesty and see what happens and not hold it in a sense of like um, anger or like uh, striking out, if you will, with who I am, but just showing up and being rather than often like how I've tried to fit myself into spaces. That's part of the work for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I have been a recipient of what happens when you bring your full self and it's amazing um <clears throat> the way you invite people into an inherent being you showing up that way then kind of casts a net of permission for people to consider doing the same and so I appreciate that as you were talking like I I I hadn't thought about I mean it's fine and I love it but I hadn't thought about that this conversation would take the intergenerational trauma and resilience track which is so beautiful the example you gave about your grandmother and your mother and the medicine and then you and your mother and running the lines like I got chills because that that is the work like is it mine to hold I would frequently say right not because this is a unique idea to me but I would frequently say to myself and to those that I got to support, trauma will travel from generation to generation until someone is ready to feel it, heal it, and let it go. Mm. And so I look at my role. I was just saying this to Tamara. Her and I had breakfast yesterday. <laughs> and we were talking and I said, I want my descendants to know me by name as the one who stood still, turned and faced the generational trauma and said no more. And, and I feel a lot of it. I, I, I think, I believe, I do, that each generation is given the opportunity. But if there is no one having these conversations, if people don't know the sensations that are arising in their body and what they could mean, it's not a willful saying, no, I want this to pass down to my kids and descendants and no, I don't want to face it. They just don't know. Mm -hmm. And so being able to be people who can help people understand that thing you're experiencing, it might not be yours, but it might be yours to feel, heal and let go. It might not have started with you, but by God, it can end with you. There is just something about knowing that as truth for myself and being able to give that to other people that makes my work feel worth it. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about having your gut splayed, what what remind what this reminded me of was with my twins, I had a C-section. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's this part, there's this big old sheet. I can't see what's going on. I am numb from the neck down which is such a I didn't like it okay I want to be yeah. the first to tell you it was an awful awful feeling to me because my head could move and turn I'm consciously aware I'm having a conversation with my partner who's next to me and the anesthesiologist behind me and while it was not painful I could feel I could feel them moving shit around I could feel them tugging I could and it got to a point where 
as the story is told to me, I was only about they the person who kept looking over the curtain at me or sheet at me kept saying, we're almost done. We're almost there. It just felt like because my babies had been taken out. Right. It got to the point where I said, I can't take it anymore. You got to put me out because this idea of feeling something that I can't see that I can't control, that I know other people are manipulating. Like I feel you in my body and I can't, I said, "Mm -mm, you gotta, you gotta put me out. You gotta put me out. And so they put me to sleep and apparently it was like only five minutes more. But the interesting thing about it, they, they take out your insides y'all. Like I'm not trying to be grabbed, but this is a real thing. That's what a Mm C-section is to get to my womb, to take my babies out. They had to take out parts of my body that, I personally, I don't know, should never be outside of my body. Like, I feel like they're in there for a reason. They take them out. And from what I understand, they put them in little sterilized something or another. They take the babies. But one thing I did notice when they, they, and then they got to put it back, right? Somehow my bladder got more space. Not just because I was pregnant, but like my bladder functions differently after my C-section because something got put back ideally where it belongs, right? Everything I'm functioning fine, but my bladder functions differently because I think something, it was like something was on top of it. That's not there anymore. And I, I think about this all the time. Like sometimes there just needs to be a little shift, just a little shift. And we don't even know that something is not operating optimally because it's just operating the way it has been operating. And we go, Oh, this is just how it is. And, and, but with a little shift with somebody who can just help us move one thing over a little bit to think about something a little bit different to, instead of avoiding that emotion that keeps coming up, that recurring, anytime something is recurring and people are like, I'm just tired of it. I'm going to get rid of it. And I'm saying, but have we listened to what it's trying to tell us? Mm. recurrence happens for a reason and so I hear you talking and I'm like oh that is the work right that that is the work to be like I am willing to explore examine and be curious and compassionate with the things that are coming up because if I just keep trying to get rid of them then they're going to go on and keep passing down until someone is willing to stop and take the look mm-hmm. I just appreciate that so much I I was like at first when I first was talking about having guts played out I was a little bit hesitant I was like why is that coming up and now I know why because it was connecting to that that experience and that story mm-hmm. so yeah sometimes you gotta trust the universe on <laughs> what's dropping into your mind but that's so powerful in the sense of like and also you advocating for yourself in in that moment of I I, I can't you got to put me out I need to and I think that that's the beautiful kind of reality of this work we're doing by choice right where we get the opportunity to do that and we're not necessarily in a situation where you know it's um we're at the mercy of others digging around in there um it's a it's a very different experience to uh, metaphorically <laughs> put put your guts out on the table and then have say have a very strong say in how and what and looking through it and having a support system to do all of that that's a space like coaching to me is that space where 
there's so much co-creation happening and it relieves so much of the pressure of someone to feel like I can figure out how to deal with this. I should be strong enough, smart enough, da 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 to do all of these things in isolation. And it, it always amazes me that sometimes when someone's just speaking out, the process of just hearing that and observing themselves say it to another person unlocks all of these things. Like it's like this cascade happens of realizations. And so to me, that's part of the beauty is like, then in this space of deep curiosity, respect, and and um, especially when there's that mutual trust built, it's like it becomes a really um, joyful experience to sometimes look through this. Not saying that there isn't real heavy and challenging and, you know, um, fear inducing things that come up in the course of it. But the result of all of the joy that can be cultivated makes it worth this journey and I I mean it's kind of like what you and I were talking about about before we you know got on the got on the call officially like when you're moving in alignment with your natural kind of way of being the natural trials and tribulations of life are so much easier to bear and um I, I just am, I'm really grateful. I'm super grateful for this work and this experience of moving into coaching because uh, I would have never anticipated it for myself, but I'm already seeing some of the benefit to the people around me because I'm I'm able to articulate myself so much better and show up differently and manage my emotions and reactions. And by extension, then I just show up in the way I want. Like I, I started hosting these events at my house and it created this space for other people to come and like show up and dream and have fun. And um, I don't know, it's just like a little bit different experience being on the res and being in a town of 1500. Gossip is king here. Like, I don't know how else to put it because and I mean that in the very hierarchical sense yeah and for the record like I know on the res on the reservation is what you yeah mean, right just because people were like what does that mean so that yeah mean? yeah no and so like that's the thing that I think is really um been helpful for me is like all right small town gossip like people you know th there's a term crabs in a bucket I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology but we talk uh -huh. about that a lot here and I just wanted a space where it's like, all right, we're not talking about somebody's family. We're not, you know, this isn't that kind of stuff. We're getting together and we're cultivating some ideas. And um, it was so much fun. I hosted an event. It was supposed to be two hours. It went almost four. Oh. We're doing another one in April. And I thought, see, this is what I get as a result of honoring the learnings that I'm trying to open myself up to. And um, one of the attendees was who was there. She's a young girl. She sometimes helps me out with different things. She was sitting and drawing. That's how she expresses herself. And she drew a picture and said, you know, this person is here. And I instantly recognized the picture as someone, a, a relative who had come to me in a dream three, four months prior, 
who I, I've never had experiences like that. I'm gonna be honest. Mm-hmm. Like I know people have these ideas about Native people being like so spiritual and playing <laughs> on or whatever, but that is something where like I've had experiences with spirits and things like that, but not a, a relative or an ancestor coming to visit me. And so to have those things happen in quick succession, because I've started to turn toward this path is like, that to me is a sign that this is much, much bigger than me, but I have to, I have to make peace with my role in things. And then that I want to support others in making peace with theirs. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Making peace with your role. Mm -hmm. I like, Oh, that's good. (laughs) Because (laughs) what I was thinking as you were talking um, as a continuation of like our pre-conversation just showing up authentically. I'm beginning to conceptualize authenticity as this thing that we always have. I think at some point I thought of it as I had to become authentic. Like I had to find my authenticity. I had to like, it was somewhere, not, Mm -hmm. it was somewhere. And I had to like find out where it was and then I had to go possess it. Now I conceptualize it as it, it was always there, core, authentic Shonda always there but it's almost like I I was playing dress up my whole life put on this mask put on this uniform put on this costume and 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 then the 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 costumes had costumes and the the costumes costumes had uniforms and and I was so layered up with the stuff that I needed to survive my social environments and and my family and all the things that what authenticity actually was, was not about going and seeking and finding. It was about taking off these things that I had put on that were not actually myself. And then I got down and now I feel like I'm down to some like pretty naked, some pretty nakedness. And it's one very vulnerable because what the costumes and the mask and the uniforms did was it provided a barrier that could take the criticism, the hits, the the rejection and all the things. And it created like some space between those things that were happening and me actually feeling it. And now I'm pretty wide open, but the way I experience everything is different. The air feels different. It, it actually hits me and not many, many, many layers the 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 vi the vibrations and the vi- the vibrancy of life feels so new because I'm experiencing without all these layers and so to get to that point and then go now I'm gonna hold space for people to do the same I what I love about it is it's not I've arrived now let me hold the space it's like no I'm journeying come journey with me because coaching for me as a coach E, as a coach partner, is I just need a passenger. Mm. Will you roll with me? Like I'm about to take this journey into this thought or to this feeling or towards this ancestor. And I just want someone to ride with me. Mm-hmm. I'm driving. Mm-hmm. I I actually have the directions. I just need somebody to manage the music, keep me awake hand me snacks, (laughs) you know, and be like, oh, okay, you have the directions, but maybe let me look at the map real quick while you focus on this. And there's not a point that someone has to arrive to besides for me, a dedication to doing their own work that makes them, you know, 
we can we can do that. We don't have to, you know, people think, oh, they got to have it all together in order to to help people. And and no one will help anybody if that was yeah. the case, right? So I want to now transition in that vein to talk about dreaming because I have a friend and I, every Tuesday, we hop on Zoom with the express intent to dream together. We dream out loud. And I had this moment with spirit uh, several days ago, within a week, where I was driving to from somewhere to somewhere. And I just, spirit started talking to me and said, first of all, manifesting isn't magic. The purpose of dreaming is to let me know what life you want so I can provide. And that hit me like, skirt like I was driving like hold on I don't know what I was previously thinking but then I was like oh you just need to know so that a path can be provided oh so when I dream out loud it's not necessarily woo 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 I'm gonna make it no I am just making known the thing and how how that fits my narrative because I have three kids. And sometimes I don't know what they want, right? For dinner, let me not act like I'm the one cooking the dinner though. I don't wanna be disrespectful. Y'all know JB cooking the dinner, right? But we don't know what they want, <laughs> whether it's to eat or the girls' birthday is coming up, right? So it's like, how do you wanna celebrate? And instead of trying to figure it out, I'm saying, okay, well, dream out loud. Like, I'm not saying everything would do, but like, give me some ideas. And once I have an idea of what they want, oh, cool. Now I can get in the motion of providing, oh, they want something small into me. Oh, they want something big. Now that I know what you want, I can be about making it happen. But first you got to tell me what kind of things you want. So my relationship with dreaming over the last like five days has shifted even more. And I know you are big, big, big on dreaming and creating space to dream. So talk to us about that, please. Yes, I love that. I love that. Yeah, top to bottom all around. <laughs> um, Yeah, especially my toddler's home today. My auntie is watching her downstairs. And sometimes I'm just like looking at her like, tell me, tell me. Mm-hmm. And she she has she does um continually more and with greater articulation than I would have imagined for a three year old, um, but I am so okay. When I was, I think I would have been about eleven or twelve, maybe twelve, when Samantha Brown first started her Great Hotels show, and at that time. I really wanted to put in a video to the travel channel. I was like, oh, I want to put in like a audition tape, right? And here I am like a little kid. <laughs> I was living out in the country at the time, cornfield away from the Missouri River on the res, like little just, you know, dreaming kid. And my dad and I had talked about it many times and he's like, you should do it, do it, do it, you know, like, and I never took that chance right because it was like if I held it we could do it later I could do that later and similarly um he and I always talked about being on the amazing race 
you know there wasn't a ton of native representation in that show just because that you know that's the way it is and uh we just thought oh we're gonna do it when I turn 18 we're gonna do it never did it you know and there's been a lot of moments in my life that are like that where it felt like it wasn't a priority at the time right and things take precedent like school getting a job doing the thing and over the course of my life <laughs> and I'm 33 it's not like I'm at some point of like oh you know chapters beyond measure but like I feel like I've gone through enough iterations of myself to understand the purpose of dreaming and exactly what you're saying right like there is something so powerful about being able to speak out and even acknowledge our dreams because I think so many the thing that I've seen get in so many people's way is it's painful it's actually really painful to dream because it's this fear of all of the things that you hope could happen but feel likely never will and so there's a grief in that. There's a grief in trying to navigate possibility. Because if you go too far in your pursuit of something and find it's not going to happen, you have to then acknowledge that grief, right? It suddenly lives inside of you in a way and is alive in a way that it hadn't been before when things were nothing but possibility. Mm -hmm. And so my invitation, I think, around dreaming, I my the tagline I have is like, I'm your dream life's hype chick, right? Like I support people in that journey of cultivating their dream life. And the thing about it is so many times we attach our sense of what will quote unquote, make us happy to a thing, getting into this school, getting this job, having this, this particular thing. And I love when we get an opportunity to break down into like what is it about that school that you that are you're drawn to like what are the feelings what's the details like is it because they have certain values is it because they have a certain level of standard is it because you know what is it because then that's a clue into some of the things you're desiring as a person right because I think the whole process of dreaming is like we have these things that we pin our hopes on once I have this I'll be happy once I have that I'll be happy but for me especially in the way that I try to hold space it's like how do we take the elements of the things that people really tag you know are hanging their dreams on and then see what actually is underneath it at its core what are you wishing for more of in your life because it usually is something very very um embodied like ease I want more ease or I want more play or whatever and so I've started hosting these monthly hours um, these daydream hours where I do these visioning exercises and then do hot seat coaching and so I literally like five to ten minutes with a person in the group um, we had time for two people at the last one it was so fun and just getting some time to coach around something to get things shook up and like unstuck a little bit. And so I'd love to extend that invitation out to people. If they're interested, they're going to be on the first Friday of every month. Um, I'm thinking I'll host them at noon CST. 
Uh, and yeah, it's just like a time to intentionally turn toward, turn toward your dreams, but also do it in a way that doesn't feel like I have to map out how to get from here to my ultimate, you know, biggest dream life. It's more about how do we connect those threads? So where we're at now feels dreamy and we can feel this sense of like progress and movement, right? Like there's not a stagnation where our dreams are. You know, it feels very, um, you know, there's like that sense of a current to it. The flow of it. Yeah. And yeah. I, oh, I love that. I, I, I love that you do that and you hold that space. And I also think that when we are intentional about dreaming, we give ourselves the ability to see that so- that right now, some of us are where we dreamed of but because we're always chasing the next thing we we haven't stopped long enough to go like wow this was my adolescent dream this was my young adult dream let alone when I realized that I am living the life my father dreamed of he did not live on this plane to see it actualized But when I paused long enough to see his fingerprints on my life, I did not dream of the life I have. I was so limited in what I I saw. So an element of dreaming for me is knowing what exists already. That kind of is a trampoline for me to go like, oh, well, what else could there be for me? Mm -hmm. And I feel like my dad was that trampoline that he he dreamed out loud with me when I was way too young to appreciate it or even understand it. He was dreaming out loud the life for me and my kids and my grandkids. And if I wasn't intentional, and if I was always on, you know, the capitalistic train that says never be satisfied, there's always more, I wouldn't have settled long enough to go, my God, I'm mm-hmm. living my own dream and my ancestors dreams right and now it makes me go how do I dream out loud for my descendants not just me what is the world that I want to exist for those who will come and occupy it five six seven generations in the future the ease the prosperity the genuine community like those are things that we're starting to dream out loud about and so the fact that someone is holding nurtured space for people to just be like, let's, hey, let's get this daydream on. Because we're taught that daydreaming is bad mm-hmm. because it lessens your productivity. <laughs> you're daydreaming, you're not producing, you're not doing your work, you're not learning, hey, 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 focus and produce. I love that we are just putting a pause on that narrative and saying, no, we're intentionally daydreaming mm-hmm. as a way to subvert some of these oppressive systems, right? It, it can be some of the smallest, seemingly seemingly small things that can cause a disruption to these systems that we're so entrenched in, we don't even know it. When you were talking earlier about sometimes it's a small shift, that is what it is. That That's exactly what it is, right? Like we're told so consistently through so many different forms of messaging right and some of them with good intention from family from community from whatever around how we contribute like what is your contribution what do you you know all of those things right 
And so I think when it's a small shift of being really, like I was saying earlier, like making peace with your role. I, when I was young, when I was in my twenties, I really wanted to be an activist, right? Like I wanted to be on the front lines. I wanted to be doing all these things. Then I did it. And I was like, wow, I'm not really good at this, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Cause I, I mean, my brain goes to the immediate, like, what's the biggest danger? What's the worst case scenario? And in those situations, that's not always helpful. Right. And I realized that wasn't my strength. And I also realized how depleted I was, right? Like I was so depleted and witnessing some of the people around me who could carry that work with so much more finesse and it came so much more naturally. It was, it was like a hard, like it was a, some grief for me in what I thought I wanted to be or who I wanted to be um, and shifting my idea of how I how I am facilitating my um time here and feeling like what I'm putting out isn't creating some kind of like thumbs up externally but inside I'm not feeling it and so shifting into this has been a a very very similar to what you were talking about, like taking off all of these layers, right? And I've worn many hats throughout my career. I started working at age 13. That was when I officially started working. I was like mopping and cleaning toilets. And it was just like a really old, beautiful building where a fitness center was. And so it was just this like really meditative experience of mopping these big wooden floors and I realized the other day that it's been 30 or it's been 20 years, right? I'm 33. It's been 20 years that I've been working in some form and every single, like the through line through all of it, whether I was working at a fitness center, working as a barista, a florist, <laughs> hotel clerk, and then eventually going into nonprofit work. Um, you know, there were a couple other stints here and there in between, but every single thing, the thing that resonated with me was when someone was really showing up in whatever role they were in and doing it in a way that like lit them up you could see the impact like the way that the coffee shop I worked for created a space for community right and like that there was so much purpose there or when it came to like flowers I've seen over and over again like somebody who everybody goes to to make the casket spray right because oh my gosh, that's, they make such beautiful creations and it's a way to honor the loved one that I lost, right? Like there's these different roles we all play and they carry so much value. And to me, I had a very strong idea about what value looked like, right? Mm -hmm. And how I was supposed to be contributing. So that's what I love to hold space for is like, we, like, there's no judgment on what it is that you do. As long as it's the thing that really makes you feel like, one, you're living your purpose, and two, you can move how you want to move. And yeah, so I'll I'll stop there, but I just get off on a tangent on it all because it is really meaningful to me. And I think people have so much more capacity for navigating the real shit of life as a result, because there's so many things we don't get to do. Like we all have to deal with grief. We all have to deal with loss, disappointment, pain, and being able to then opt in where we can, not in avoidance of those things, but in thoughtful navigation and like making sure we're not needlessly piling pain upon ourselves out of some idea of 
proving our worth. It's so such a it's such a um consistent route, you know, that many of us take and shedding that is uh I think an experience that's done yes ourselves it's our work but when it's done in community with others I think it's a catalyst for all of the things that we're seeking right like you can't underscore the value of trusted community because and I'm going to say that with the caveat that often the communities were prescribed are not always the communities that hold us Uh (laughs) and and so I think that if it's like well I feel you know I want more community but I go out and it's this happens or I feel rejected or I feel like I don't belong or it's like that start tapping into what it is that you really want from community and seeing where those spaces are right like I've had to sometimes create community in that capacity but it's out there you know oh yeah I'll pause there well we could talk about this all like I'm yes okay one part building community could be part of the dreaming dream about the community that you want as you were talking I was thinking about like again these oppressive systems colonialism capitalism all this stuff creates these false hierarchies and these false value equivalencies where sometimes we can't be content in our role because the system has told us it's a devalued role and Mm -hmm. really it doesn't have to be and when I just think you know what came to me is like I worked in 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 the restaurant industry food industry for a while and there were these very large containers there's like the grill and there's the fryer and and there are all these things but there are also these little ramekins that's the little thing where you get your ranch or your dipping sauce on the side right Mm -hmm. that ramekin is not less valuable than the thing that cooks the food when somebody really wants ketchup with their french fries when they really Mm -hmm. want an extra side of ranch. And that ramekin can be content to hold that if it knows it has value and it doesn't need to be compared to the value of the plate that everything else is on or the glass. Like we all are vessels and we all have value. When we strip off all the stuff and just get down to what, what is my essence, you know, my essence, blessing, mission, message. What is my, what is my role? And then we live in it. I have seen some of the happiest people doing things that I do not want to do. <laughs> like, it, and it, it, and it's not because I devalue what they're doing. I, in within my household, like when my partner is feeding us, though I know sometimes it's like he's a short order cook and it, it gets old, right? Because <laughs> everybody wants something different. But what I love is he's so committed to making sure that we are nourished in the way that nourishes us, that he will make five different meals. Mm. Right. And, and, and the resulting feeling is we always feel nourished and cared for and so supported. We know that what we want matters and the joy that he does that. I'm like, couldn't be me, homie, Mm -hmm. like, nah. (laughs) Right. But at the same time, the way I go into a room, and hold space for people he like couldn't be me right and that's okay like we we get to just exist in the way that we exist knowing that we were created that way with inherent value that Mm. just makes me so excited oh okay so because (laughs) I know like I'm like all right we just got to have you back so we can just keep talking before we stop though I please 
I will make sure that you can, we'll get your stuff and have your information in the show notes for the daydreaming, but talk about your jewelry, please. Oh, yes. Oh, yours is on your way, on the way, by the I, way. I'm waiting. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got to get you your tracking number. <laughs> because I want people to know about um, how you show up in the world creatively. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to say really fast. I think it's so interesting the way in which like you're saying what lights different people up because so often one person's fallback plan is another person's dream. Yes. And so it's a lot of this like mental hullabaloo that kind of gets in the way. It's a really interesting thing. Like I would love to come back and talk about that sometime because I think we could get into it. But um, the other thing that I was thinking is, um, you know, the coaching work is this kind of like community um personal self-healing and then in the creative form around the jewelry um I started doing parflesh work gee three or four years ago maybe longer now I don't know what that means so I was just gonna break okay good because I was like I know I'm not the only one that's gonna be like um what (laughs) so parflesh work it's um a traditional art form which is essentially like painted hide right and so um you know one of the things that is true that's kind of a cliche about native people like we do use everything like traditionally we used everything right but the other thing that's true is that there was no separation between art and life like no separation between the way that the things in your everyday life Mm. were reflective of who we are so like our um our homes right like at least for Lakota people um, and Dakota people, you know, we had teepees. And so those were beautifully painted. Like those were hand stitched, you know, tanned hides. And there were stories right in that, in, in that. And then when you think about all of the ways in which we would carry things, parflesh was essentially like our containers, right? The original, the word in our language is wheezy And so parflesh is kind of like a French word if you will um and so I got really interested in this art form um right before I got pregnant then once I was pregnant I was like oh my gosh I know somebody who does this he's one of like the last real practitioners making traditional par flesh I want to see if he'll let me be his mentor and now he sends me memes all the time of like, are those gifts or whatever, where he's like, are you working? You know, <laughs> where he's like these little things like peeking out from the shades, making sure that I'm working on things, which I appreciate. Um, but I have this mentor over the last few years that has really pushed me to um, take all the learning that I can. And so my jewelry is both an expression of that because I work with hide, you know, elk hide, deer hide, buffalo hide, et cetera. Um, I, that's a way for me to learn to work with the medium and work with the paint. So a lot of the earrings are not like traditional per se, but they have traditional elements and traditional, um, like imagery in them. And I'm also in the process of making kind of these contemporary purses because parflesh or, or wheezy pound, they were, um, the way that we carried things. They were like our luggage. Right. And they were very, very functional every single day use things. So I recently made one, um, a purse that I took to New York City, and it had both traditional parflesh and 
beadwork design painted onto it. And I cannot tell you how good it felt to get on an airplane with this thing that I had made with my hands that had these designs of my ancestors. And, you know, it was like, it was a whole other experience for me. So, so much of what I do, I found so much healing in the creation of that work. Um, and it's also an opportunity for me to teach and share with others because I have friends who do beadwork and quill work. Quill work is like porcupine quills. You can make earrings and things like that. Um, and a lot of our like regalia and things have beadwork, quill work, et cetera, and parfletch. And so I think that for me, it's a way for me to be able to contribute in a community, in community in a way that feels really good for me. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah. The name of my company is Rosie Mato. Mato means bear in Lakota and Dakota. And that was my nickname as a kid. My auntie called me Rosie Mato, which means Rosie Bear. My middle name is Rose. So anyway, yeah, I love it. It's it's um another extension of how I'm able to both nourish myself, heal myself, um, take a lot of pride in my culture and who I am and where I come from, but then also cultivate community through sharing all of that. Mm. Thank you for sharing. I... I'm so excited to support and continue to support, not just because I know the person crafting it, but because I know the person crafting it, if that makes sense. And <laughs> I I know the intention and the depth that is going into each one of those pieces, that it feels like an honor to be able to wear an extension of someone's story. I hold story inside mm. as part of my work so when I have an opportunity to wear story in a way that continues to show that story even if people don't like won't go like oh what's the story behind your earrings or your bag I believe people know they're witnessing a story and so I thank you for externalizing the story of yourself your ancestors your community in a way that people like me who are outside of that community can honor, not just as a fashion statement, but truly as a tribute to being a storyteller and a story holder that I am. And so I'm super excited to get mine and continue to support. And so this the fact that we could talk for literally five more hours about so many different things, we're going to pause for now and just have you back. But how can folks get in touch with you, whether it's for daydreaming, whether they want to look at, at your creations, or you just said something and they just like want to know you as a person, how can people find and get in touch with you? Yeah. So um, I have a few ways. Obviously, there's um, my website, cecilyrose.co. And um, that is where all of my coaching dreamy magic happens. I also have a program launching in June called uh, Dream Life Strategic Planning. It's going to be really fun. I know strategic planning like strikes fear in the hearts of many people. Don't worry, this ain't that. But um, and then also on my website, Rosie Mato, and I'll get you all the details on that. But people are free to, you know, contact me through there can also find me on Instagram for both of those. I have my Cecily Rose LLC Instagram account, also one for Rosie Mateau. And I actually also have one for my house. Um, we bought this home. Um, it's kind of a reclamation project. It used to be owned by the former, I think the district attorney. Anyway, there's like a whole bunch of stuff around it, but we got it for a very, very, very low 
price considering it. So we have it's um, res renovation 1904 mm. is the kind of, yeah, it's an old Victorian house on my res and we've been slowly turning it into our home over the course of the last year and a half. So that's a whole other journey. I'm like a big housing homeownership kind of advocate. I wear lots of hats. <laughs> yes. Listen, I appreciate that so much. So obviously we're going to have Cecily's information in the show notes for y'all to get in touch. Listen, if dreaming feels like the thing you need to do right now, or you feel like, I don't even know where to start. She's offering you an opportunity to ease into those waters and trust me in the most loving capable and intentional hands I can think of so Cecily I have so much gratitude for you taking the time to share yourself with me and my listeners today thank you so much thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it absolutely so y'all you know the routine I want to thank all my peoples Trey Angel does the music for the podcast my producer Jay Sugg and I I want to I want to thank y'all I know I've been saying we've been creeping up to it but over the weekend we officially crossed 60,000 downloads and listens and that just feels awesome like I said it's not a radio station you can't just like accidentally stumble on it and then stay there y'all are intentionally coming to listen and it, it just makes my heart so warm to know um, that I got y'all as my community out there. Um, I want to lift up that I have the Patreon. It continues to support my efforts to create low and no cost content for folks. And if you haven't already, go ahead and give us that five-star rating, write a review, and share the podcast with your loved ones and friends. Until we connect again, you all be well.